0: This is the second part of a two-part episode on the Women's 1984 Olympic Marathon, the inaugural Olympic Marathon for Women. We're just going to jump right into the action. Enjoy. Let us know what you think. On your mark, get
1: set. Well, the race starts in Santa Monica City College track. Starts on a track, ends on a track, interestingly. Two and a half laps around the track, then it heads out into town. Santa Monica City College is inland by a few miles, so they ran around the track, got out in the roads, ran through some foothills, ran to the coast, ran south down the coast, and then came back inland towards the Olympic Stadium was the route. So after they left the, the city track, they hit the mile point pretty quickly. They, they came through at 525, except then they had a few miles uphill. Which we just had a late discovery on some of this course description, but they had about 200 feet of climbing in around a four or five k period, which made their split their five k split not uh, especially fast. But what happened right around that time is that Joan Benoit gets off the front, and she didn't make a strong move. It it wasn't it didn't look aggressive on tape. It's just. Like she just moved a little bit. She got a little gap. And if you hear her talk about it, she said she just was not feeling comfortable in that pack. I think she was bumping into people and just wanted to be on her own. And at three miles or so, she went on her own. And then she skipped a water station right around there. I think it was right after she got a little separation to get a, even a little bit more time advantage. She blasted through the first water stop to much criticism But that gave her, I don't know, a few more seconds and maybe just a little bit more confidence that other people were going to slow up a little bit and she could press the advantage. And from that point forward, there she was, white cap, all on her own, on TV. And that's what I remember. We talked about seeing this as kids on TV. I just remember seeing her and that white cap out there all day long. It just seemed like it went on forever, didn't it? Yeah. You know, the the subtext
0: here too, Jeff, going in was it was going to be hot. It was supposed to be really, really hot. Um, People were expecting unseasonably warm temperatures. Um, And, you know, you've got um, Joni wearing uh, a a, a Beardsley painter's cap um, and they're all wet before they get out onto the track. You know, they're doing everything they possibly can to be ready for it. And it turns out that the doesn't really materialize. Yeah, it's about I think about sixty to sixty five degrees. It ends up, um, and but it you know in L.A. it's dry and it doesn't feel quite as as warm as that typically. Um, so I think in a lot of ways, people were thinking this move by that Joni made was suicide. You know, number one, she couldn't be in the kind of shape that would be able to hold this pace because while they went out that first mile really fast, they slowed off a little bit as they went through the hills. And then they get back on to a pretty quick pace. And Joni just starts, you know, after that 5K point, she just slowly but surely ratches it down, ratches it down, ratches it down. By the time they get to the halfway point, she's already 90 seconds ahead of the rest of the pack. And you say, What the hell happened, Jeff? Like what happened to this supposed like slug fest that was supposed to go on between these four women right. protagonists that were supposed to knock the snot out of each other they you expected them to be shoulder to shoulder like in a like a boxing match where they're throwing blows at each other. It doesn't materialize. Joni gets away and stays away,
1: but that tactic going so early in a long event like this. I mean, who attacks early in these type of events? People who are not supposed to win, right? Not the favorites. I, I'm trying to think of another race where a favorite attacked and went solo from mile three in a marathon, and I'm not sure I, I can think of one. But I'm also not one to that imagine. ends well. Not the not one <laughs> right. that usually
0: ends well for the one who makes that move, right? You know, Frank Shorter said um, in one of the books that we read, Frank Shorter said that in his opinion, this was the best run olympic marathon in the history because the woman no one expected her to make that move to make the move had to be bold and strong and absolutely committed if you mess it up the kind of like you, you that you don't that's just that's really fucking it up right on national television she's an american in her home country like it took it took elephant balls to do that it took absolute guts to make that move and yet she does it in the in the same way that Joni did everything she just slips off the front goes off and does her own thing runs her own race like she did every mile of all the training that she did throughout her career she rarely ran with other people she always trained in Maine she was always on her own she'd gone through an incredibly hot summer where it was actually warmer in Maine for many of the times that she was doing the work that she was doing, that it turned out being on the Olympic on, uh, on the day of the Olympics. And she stays away. Not only does she stay away, Jeff, but she keeps getting faster. She keeps, by the time they get to 30 K, so 18.6 miles, she's already nearly two minutes ahead of the pack. At this point in time, Greta is like, she's got to be saying I'm fucked. Like there's no way that she can make it up. There's no way that
1: she can change what's going on here. Like it, the die is cast. Yeah, you say there's no drama though. I think there was some drama around people who really understood racing and marathoning must have thought that this was a desperation attack. She's giving it all too early. Surely Greta is just gonna start reeling her in. Greta's gonna pick her point and she's just gonna start grinding and she's gonna pull her back. Now it never happened. Greta did make the effort, so you say th- around thirty K there was the almost a two minute gap. Greta starts pulling her back a bit pulls back 10 or 20 seconds by 33 K but when she gets to mile and Greta gets to mile 22 twenty three it sounds like she just capitulates and says this is over I've got to protect my silver I just've I've got to run in and, uh, and and stay strong and and not get overtaken at this point because they were spread out two three four were. Probably within 30 seconds of each other. And I think it was anybody's guess what that, uh, two, three, four order might look like, but it did look locked up for, for Joan by mile 23. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, think she didn't really
0: realize it, um, until she went into the stadium. I mean, I think she probably heard some things, but you can kind of tell There's some footage where you can see her turning back. They take this, every, every one of the three athletes who, who get medals that day, all seem to do the same basic look over their shoulder, look under the inside as they can see where people are. And, um, you know, the, there's no one to be seen by the time Greta, by the time that Greta comes into the stadium and gets onto the track, Joni's already finished. Right. Um, so it was just an absolute masterclass devastation of the greatest women's field assembled in a marathon to that point. Now, of course there hadn't been many, but it was, you know, of the top 10 women of all time, those four have got to be included in, in the category in my opinion, they're four of the top 10 um, women runners of all time. And they were all on that starting line and Joni made them all look silly. She just got away. And as you said, I mean, you're right. There was drama there, Jeff, right? People aren't, don't tell now that, you know, you know what happened. People don't talk about the courageous move. It was, and how dumb it looked to some, even of the most of the smartest people. I mean, even Bob Mm -hmm. 70, you know, Joni's coach, he's like, I'm not sure she made the right decision until later when she made the right decision. Right now, of course he knew, you know, she, her plan was to sit in the pack and wait till later. She, her plan was not to go off the front. We hear about that later, but it's just Joni dust does what she wants to do. She just gets in there mm-hmm. and, and she does what she wants and, you know, it worked out for her. And, you know, there's a, that day you see that footage of her just her coming across the finish line, she was carrying the hopes and dreams of so many women. So it's not just the women of America who, when she comes across the finish line and she has that just iconic photo of her putting her hands in the air and the smile on her face. She's like a cherub, right? Like an angel. And in that photo, in that moment, why we see it so often and so frequently is not just because she's an American who wins a gold medal at the American Olympics. But it's that she represents the opportunity that women have had to be able to be on that stage. And for a woman to do it in the way that she did it, where she basically goes off the front in an aggressive, tough, bold, and ballsy move. And to pull it off in her home country in against the greatest assembled field of all time, I mean, at that time, it just solidifies in all people's minds, how amazing that performance was. And women from that day basically say, yes, I can. I absolutely can. I can do this. I believe I can do this where they may have not have said that before.
1: So finishing order and finishing times, Joan comes in at 224.52 for the gold. Greta, minute and a half behind at 226.18. Rosa Moda, Overtook Inger Christensen around the 35K mark. And she finishes Rosa with a 226.57 and Inger Christensen less than a minute behind. And I thought Greta was incredibly classy. This is what you want to see from an athlete. But we've got a clip of her post-race interview. Just a a few comments of hers as well as a few comments of Jones that I'll go ahead and play. I'll start with Greta.
0: You still rank with her as having had uh, one of the two or three greatest careers in the history of women's marathon running. What is ahead for Greta Weitz?
1: Well, I still enjoy running, and uh, as,
0: uh, as long as I feel that way and uh, no other problems with injuries coming up, then I think i stick it for another two years. Congratulations again, and we deeply appreciate your graciousness in coming to speak with us. Thank you. All right, Greta Weitz, the silver medalist from Norway. Still a legend, Al. Thank you, Jim.
1: I like how he says top two or three women marathoners ever. Hey, thanks, Jim Lampley. is <laughs> <laughs> his name? Who's the third? Who, who are the two? Okay. I, I know one who you could say might be ahead of me. Who's the other one? No doubt. No doubt. Like that's that's yeah not 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 the greatest uh greatest interview ever. <laughs> yeah, well, the women's marathoning was far ahead of women's sports coverage. No time, doubt about with the it. The question of hey, don't worry, you're you're still a good athlete. Oh, thanks. I I didn't appreciate that. Yeah, you know, one other point I want to
0: make before um an interesting story about uh about Joan is as they got lined up to go out onto the track at Santa Monica, she's in line, 50th in line, 40th, 9th or 50th in line. And she said to herself, she she remembered um, her mother's, uh, one of her mother's favorite Bible quotes, which was um, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And she remembered that. And she said that to herself. So she's remembering her own mother's words of inspiration, which come from obviously, um, a a much higher source of inspiration, but she said to herself, this is going to be true today. And there it is, right? As she comes across the finish line, she remembers that. And she says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Like what a great, what a, it, it works that way in sports. You know, how many of us have had these kinds of scenarios where we have premonitions or we have, ideas that we have things that help us take away the little bit of the, the, the overwhelming nervousness of getting on a starting line of, of the most of some of the most important races of our most important experiences of our lives. And we remember things like that. I thought that was just an interesting, an interesting moment and, um, pulling in not only, not only, you know, this great quote, but also the experience of her mother and that importance of her mother is what, what we think about when we're standing on a starting line, how at the end of the day, it plays out at the finish line. Yeah, she was. She was last in line,
1: but she was the first
0: one across the finish line.
1: We got a few comments from Joan Benoit. The finishing section, I watched that on video. The sound when she came into that stadium, 80,000 people, even on an old video recording, is unbelievable. You can feel through YouTube the strength of the applause as she came in. There really wasn't much of a race call And so if we played it for you, you would just hear a lot of static and loudness. There really wasn't much to hear from that clip, but she does make a few comments after the race, which we'll play here. Weitz, who finished second for the silver medal, said she was slowed by the humidity and the 76-degree heat. Portugal's Rosa Moda came in third to take the bronze medal. The most agonizing moment of the race came as Swiss marathoner Gabriella Anderson Scheiss staggered into the stadium, struggling to complete the final 400 meters.
0: Yeah, and that's an iconic moment that a lot of people pay attention to, Jeff. We didn't, we didn't cover much of that, but, you know, that day was um, not not just won by Joan Benoit and um, an incredible win for the United States, but there was also this other subtext, something that that this particular athlete was really worried about. Anderson Schleiss was like, I, I read I heard a interview about from her on it, and she was basically like, she was really worried when she came across the finish line afterwards, after she saw how terrible she looked, um, that once again, women were going to be relegated to not being able to run the marathon because someone might be able to say that she'd had this, that this is what would happen if women were allowed to do distances and run at this distance. Thankfully that didn't happen, but you know, it, it, it's not, it's more an image of the agony of defeat and what happens when, when sometimes life just throws at you, you know, who knows the number of things that went wrong because so many of those other women were fine on that day, but she, Ran into some trouble, and yet, why is it that you know our, our media wants to play up these terrible, horrific situations? And what does she thinks? What does she think about? She thinks about could women's running be dropped back to 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 relegated to some other kind of status again? Um, thankfully, again, that didn't happen. But um, you know, it, that wasn't in her mind. You know, her mind wasn't the tragedy of it. Her mind was get me across that finish line. I want to be right. a finisher in the in the first women's Olympic marathon. And God, I hope this doesn't hurt women in the long run.
1: Yeah, and her the image of her struggling around the track but finishing is just as iconic and, and maybe even more so if you search 1984 Women's Olympic finish, I think you'll see more more images of Gabriella Anderson Scheiss than you will of Joan Benoit, Which is just sad. And I'm sure it's sad for Scheiss as well. <laughs>
0: yeah. Sure, that's not what she wants either.
1: <laughs> Agreed. All right, so getting into post-Olympic career? Because really we looked at these four women across a decade with the Olympics being pretty much in the middle of it. So what what do you have to say about our, our winner post-Olympics headline and summary of what she did later? So the headline
0: has to be Olympic gold medalist, right? Like to me, I think it, that plays out all the way through, but the funny thing about Joni is she was not satisfied. In fact, she would, she in her next major competitive marathon, basically after coming off of some injuries, she had ended up having some injury issues and was dealing with some things. She basically gets healthy and says, I want to run. She hears, um, Ingrid Christensen is going to run in the 1985. Um, she's planned to run, Joni's supposed to run the New York city marathon and go head to head with Greta Weitz, but she decides, Hey, Ingrid Christensen just broke my world record. She ran 221 to break Joni's world record. And she basically asks Fred Lebeau, the race director at New York City, hey, I need to skip out of your race because I got to go head to head earlier with Joan, with Ingrid, who's running it at, at Chicago. So once again, Joni, she just wants to prove her worth. She wants to prove what she's made of and what she's capable of. And so I think, you know, Olympic gold medalist, but I'm not, I'm still hungry. Um, she wins that race in an absolute epic duel. Those two, um, some people might think that 85 was actually a better race because Joan Benoit, she goes off the front and does what she does. She just keeps airing it, and Ingrid Christensen will not let her go for anything. Joni throws surge after surge, after surge, after surge. And finally at the end, she's like, I don't know that I have anything left to give. I'm going to give one more time. She pushes one more time and around 20 miles, finally, on couples and she runs, goes into Rin. And that day um, they were, they had run so fast. They didn't end up breaking the world record, but it was just an unbelievable performance um, by, by her. And, you know, that, that to me is the, the really at that point, Joan sort of ends up um, having some more injury related issues. She ended up having problems with her heels, which came from some Achilles tendonitis stuff. She ends up having a child um, in the eighties, Late eighties, and um, you know, sort of slips away from being the the incredible competitor that she was prior to this. But it's not like Joni stopped, Jeff. I mean, she basically is still running. She is still competing in two thousand eight. 2018, 19 um, Boston Marathon, she ran, I believe, 307 at 62 years of age, which is just mind boggling. She's broken every record that there was to break each year that she runs as she got over the age of 45 or so. I think she broke record after record. Um, each year, she sets the new record for what a woman can do. And she's continuing to run with the same ferocity. That's what I would say. She's just a ferocious competitor who was driven to push herself to the highest levels. I think with Joan Benoit, we see an athlete who was tougher than everybody else. And we're talking about four really tough women in this in this episode. And in my mind, she's the toughest by far. She's just that tough.
1: I wonder if running at 62 at Boston, if she's racing anyone, because us Normal people, we're racing ourselves generally. We're not racing an identified competitor like they are, say, at the Olympics that we just talked about. I wonder if she has other 60 something year old women picked out where I am going to beat her or if she just runs what she can now.
0: Well, I can't believe that she would be thinking about running against another 62 year old woman because I think probably the next fastest 62 year old woman is over four hours. So, no, I don't think so. But I do think Joni's running against herself. But yeah. And she's running against herself in a way that we should all be running against ourselves. I think Joan is like the epitome of what a great racer is. And she's aged so incredibly gracefully. So many people that I work with today, Jeff, they don't want to push themselves or go to the edge anymore because they, don't, they can't compare with their former self. They can't run the times that they ran five years ago or 10 years ago. And it stops them from being competitive and pushing. And it's just my view that that's not what this is about. And if you're looking for someone to prove to you what it really means to can challenge yourself, and at this time, we're talking, you know, we're recording this episode during the middle of a pandemic where people are, you know, sheltering in place and we're not having races and we don't have anything to compete for. And many people are looking for some reason to push themselves. Well, if you're looking for a hero or a heroine, just look to Joan Benoit because that's the person who's absolutely every single day going out and hammering as if it's her last, exhibiting the kind of the kind of courage and passion that it takes to be great and absolutely accepting nothing less than the best from herself. I mean, her, in her training, she was the toughest. She ran every, she ran the same routes over and over, Jeff. And she would run to the outside edge of a. If she went around a corner, she would run the outside edge of that corner. She would run the furthest distance she possibly could and she would run it the same way every single time. She was impeccable. She was conscientious and she just flogged herself mercilessly. And that's one of the reasons why she got hurt later in her career. She could not sustain the level of 120 mile weeks, 20 mile pounding run. I mean, she would just hammer herself, always challenging herself and running harder and harder and harder to her own detriment. She overtrained in a lot of ways, but but you can't falter for it. You know, as she got older, she figured out new ways to handle it and look at her now. She's running with this. I imagine that the results that she's doing today, 62 year old woman running at 307 marathon. She's probably disappointed with that result. You know, it probably is age graded nearly as good as her events that she ran when she ran 222 at Boston in 83. It's crazy. too. right, to think we'll, about.
1: Uh, we'll, re- we'll research that one later. <laughs> Call that. I'm surprised we didn't go down that rabbit hole. We're going to talk about some other rabbit holes in a few minutes. Uh, but getting to the others post-race or post-Olympics careers, uh, I'm going to talk about Greta again. So my headline for her is... Took title to New York City Marathon. Still at the top, but not alone. Mm. She was she was no longer unbeatable after the Olympics, and I think people looked at her differently. Yeah, she didn't go I, away. She kept winning races. Uh, she won a total of nine New Yorks, not consecutive. I think he'd said consecutive earlier. She had a couple gap years in there for kids and injuries, but um, she won in 84, 85, 86, 88. She won the 86 London uh, Marathon, but she didn't really, in the late 80s, she she wasn't the same. So I, I think her 88 victory in New York City was her capstone major victory. Um but she was pretty solid throughout the decade. And we're going to debate this decade in in a few minutes. Yeah, with Rosa- exactly. She 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 died um, at a young age. Steve, you mentioned this earlier, but she died of, I believe, ovarian cancer mm-hmm. in her 50s. Well, she wouldn't say what cancer she had. She Oh, she, uh, she, that's right. Remember? I mean, I think she did. I
0: think it ended up coming out what she had, but she said, this is a personal issue. This is a family issue, what she had. hmm Um, which just goes to show how she was so reticent, so private. And a lot of that, I think really does have to do Jeff with the, the mercilessness that she was assaulted with by her own country. It's almost like Norway was like the great, like the British press, right? Just could never be enough, could never do enough. And was always, you know, and, and this getting second at the Olympic games, they never forgave her, forgave her for it, you know? Um, right. And one thing about Greta I think that's really important to talk about. I mean, I know I guess we might get into this in a little bit, but you know, why did Greta not cover that move? You know, if she knew, if she if she had to know that Joni had thrown down a 3207 10K before this, and had to have known that Joni was feeling her oats, like you just have to. You have to assume that you have to ex- expect that the woman that you've been trading world records with, who is the second best in the world at uh, to that point at least, and who you know is a ferocious competitor, why would you let her slip away?
1: Yeah. Well, we left this out. She had some back trouble at the Olympics, so we're going backwards here. But she had sleeping trouble, switched beds, and the day before the Olympic marathon, could barely walk. I think she got she some therapy and it was better. Yeah. Yeah, But she commented later, she never used it as an excuse, but she did acknowledge that she was not as focused as she should have been coming into that race because of the distress she'd been in for the, the two days leading up to it. And I think she might've doubted herself. I think when, when Joan moved, she thought, I'm not ready for this right now. And let's just hope she breaks down. Let's hope I can pull her back later.
0: You know, we talked about this in the last episode, Jeff, about how athletes sometimes don't want to talk about especially someone like Greta who knew later on that she was going to continue to be competing and might see Joan and Ingrid and Rosa in other races that she ran head to head you're always being playing a little cat and mouse game playing a little head games about what you're willing to say and for sure Greta spent her entire career playing those games not in a yeah, not in a many of them detrimental
1: life. way yeah. Many of them will never talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's, like, it's come on, give it up. What were you thinking? What, what was at, going through your head? Exactly. I mean, we saw this with
0: Alberto, right? He never really shared exactly what was going on in 82 in, in that, in that race and why, why he, why he sat back and what went on. But I do think you can see in Greta that she wasn't her normal self. Um, and she didn't cover that move because she couldn't, she didn't cover that move because right. she couldn't guarantee that she would, that she would medal. And, you know, that's, again, another point why Joan's win is so important. Because the one who wins is the one who puts it all their chips in. And and that doesn't always happen that way. But that's how Joan knew she had to win. She didn't want to sit around and wait, even though that was the race plan. She didn't want to sit around and wait. She needed to go when she felt like she needed to go. Made a big gamble and it paid off. Um, but how much, I wonder, comes down to Greta not having having those, you know, just one... Small little thing happen. You know, one small little ache or pain. And, and you know, evident you know, we know from Greta that she's not she's not soft. If she if she couldn't walk, mm-hmm. she couldn't walk, right? I mean, she wouldn't even mention that she got hurt or talk about it till many years later. It was her husband, Jack, who basically indicated to other people that shirt that his wife, you know, wasn't at a hundred percent on the starting line. Um, but we go back to those finishing times, Jeff. I mean, those like I think I read somewhere that the men like only ran, like only like five times of men ever run faster than the time, like 10 times <laughs> men had run faster than that time prior to then, right? They, they ran scalding fast on, you know, an incredibly, in, and an, on a tough day in in uncertain conditions where the heat could have been really, really bad. And they ran really, really fast. I mean, that was the best, you know, did the best women, women woman win that day? Certainly the best woman that day won. There's no doubt about that. And there's no question that she won it because she was bold. And she was won it because she was so aggressive. But anyway, we should finish with the other two. So Rosa yep. runs next, right? And and the the quote for her is, is this the, the headline for her is she just gets faster and faster and faster. Throughout her entire career, she gets better and better and better. Um, every race seems seemingly she gets better than the one before it and it's crazy to think about because she ends up um going from this point in time right she beats Ingrid Christensen after this at 84 i mean so listening about this they run in, a, in august and then they run mid i mean at this point in time chicago's mid late october Christensen and um uh Rosa go head to head there. She beats her for the third straight time. So three times in a row, she beats her in 84 at Chicago. She runs 223 in Chicago in 85. She gets beat by Christensen. Okay, but she runs 20 seconds behind her. 223, right? That's the year that 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 Joni wins, right? 86. She wins the world, the European Championships again. Then she wins Boston in 87. In the 87 World Championship Marathon in Rome, she wins again, runs 225, wins that race, Jeff, by seven minutes ahead of second place. Like the woman just keeps getting better and better until finally in 1988, she gets the crowning achievement. She wins the 1988 Olympic gold medal in the marathon, the second medal afforded at the Olympics in a woman's marathon. And how many people before we had this episode, Jeff, knew who Rosa Mota
1: was? Right. Not to you mention know? she won Boston in eighty eight. Who who races yes. Boston before the Olympics? Does anyone do that now? Well, they do if they win
0: eighty in the year before and they get a payday because this was the air era of big money races. So these went, one of the things we need, we you know, we talked about this in the episode in eighty two, how big money was coming into the sport. By this point in time, there were big dollars for winning these races and big parents fees for showing up to the races that you'd won. Mm-hmm. In fact, these women weren't making money by running the nineteen eighty six European Championship or the World Championship or the Olympic Games. So they were hitting up all these other races, and that's why that's why Greta Weitz. I'm not saying she was after the money because at that point they were probably doing just fine. But she ran the same race over and over again, and won every, that race every every year because it was a substantial and significant payday to just sh- to get on the starting line and then to win the race. But you know that's the thing. The one the one sad thing was in 1991. Um, you know she Rosa has um, has to get a remove a, an ovarian cyst. Um, and she has surgery in 1991 and she never really makes it back. She starts to get her fitness back. She gets in a really good spot right before the 92 Olympic games in Barcelona, but she gets hurt right before it, like in like two weeks before it or something like that. She can't show up to the, to the the start. And from then on, she pretty much is that her career is over as a, as a competitive athlete. But up until that Mm -hmm. point, Jeff, I mean, she just won nearly every race that she ran. Arguably the best marathoner. I mean, I don't, I mean. Not arguably, almost inarguably, the best marathoner after 84. Um, I don't think there's any doubt that she was. She won the European Championships, the World Championships, and the Olympic gold. I mean, how can you, who, who, who could have done better,
1: right? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not so sure about that. We can debate that here as, as we get through Ingrid Christensen, because I'm going to talk about Ingrid Christensen. Then we're going to talk about the decade. So my headline on Ingrid Christensen is From the Shadow. To the world's best distance runner with only one asterisk. Uh, and that asterisk would be lack of an Olympic medal. Yep. But her run, so she wins the London Marathon. She'd won it in 84 before the Olympics. And this was prior to London shifting to the fall. Uh, she wins in 85. In London, setting a world record, she wins in eighty-seven and eighty-eight. She also wins Boston in eighty-six and eighty-nine, and she's got this run in eighty-five and eighty-six where she sets a marathon world record in April eighty-five of two twenty-one oh six, which lasts thirteen years. In eighty-six, she is the first unbelievable, (laughs) right? She is the first woman to break 15 minutes in a 5K. So now she's at the other end here. And she also runs a 1437 in 1986 in the 5K. And in 86, she as well sets a world record in the 10,000 meter of 30 minutes and 13 seconds, which lasted for 16 years. And was only broken by a
0: absolute convicted doper, Chinese doper, (laughs) Um, and then again, I think, it, I mean, finally, there've been more women who have broken the, 30. The
1: crew that was eating worm dung yeah, or or something Januka, like that? Yeah.
0: yeah. I can't even say her name, like Wang Juniqua or Wang Juniqua. But, you know, even today to go under 30 minutes is absolutely very, un, highly, highly unlikely. So it doesn't happen very often. Um, so yeah, I mean, Ingrid Christensen in the, in, after this Olympic games is just on fire. Yes. Um, and talk about her, her, her thing with. With
1: weights, and 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 what her her experience oh, with yeah. her, well, her sports psychologist told her. Yeah, that's an important point. Coming out of the eighty four Olympics, Inger Christensen went to seek psychological help, and we mentioned that she was an innovator. I think this is another innovation, looking at the mental side of running, and she concluded very quickly that her problem was that she didn't believe that she could beat Greta. And she did some deep psychological work and said, Yes, I can. And just lifted that burden from herself to that lack of belief in beating her or anyone. And I think it just completely opened things up for her. And she had an amazing decade, which gives us a chance to talk about. Who had the best decade of these four? And I don't even know what your answer is, Steve. We were batting around the the whole concept of discussing this. And you seem pretty firmly convinced about whoever it is you're about to tell me won the decade. (laughs) (laughs) So who and why was the big winner here? You just outlined all the reasons why Ingrid Christensen was the
0: best athlete of the decade. Um, She had the best range. I mean, I think Greta had range, but Greta lost her range later. You know, Greta's range we see happening in the early, in the late 70s, not in, not in the early 80s. Um, Once Greta moves to the marathon, she pretty much stays at the marathon. Um, Joni wins crucial and critical and the biggest races, right? She wins 83 Boston. She wins 84 Olympic games. She wins the 85 Chicago. These are huge, huge iconic wins, but they're not enough. I mean, and she has world record after world record, but I don't think it's enough. And Rosa Mota wins the Olympic gold medal in 88, but she doesn't have enough range. I mm-hmm. think that one of the reasons why you have to put Ingrid Christensen at number one, um, and I would put Greta as number two, to, to be honest with you. So I think Greta is the second best of the decade. But I think that the way, the, the level of competition and the skill set that she had before 84 is underestimated. You know, people were talking about white Gretaweitz and people were talking about um, Joan Benoit, but they were all afraid. They were all worried about Christensen. And if Christensen had a better day, that could have easily have turned out to be different. She was hurting that day from the very beginning. You can see it written all over her face in the video footage. She is not in a good space. Um, but after that, she goes on a tear, breaking world records, running at every level at an unbelievable level. And here's the thing. The only reason that you could possibly say that, that she can't win the athlete of the decade, if she wins the 1988 Olympic gold medal in the 10,000 meters, which she was in place to do, right? She was on that starting line and everybody thought it was a foregone conclusion that she's going to win the Olympic gold medal in Barcelona in the 10,000 meters. She gets about one mile, two miles through the race and she breaks her foot, Jeff. In the race, eight laps in, she breaks her foot. She finishes that race and she wins the Olympic gold medal. There's no doubt that you have to, I think you you at that point in time, you have to crown her as the greatest of the dist- of the decade. And so my view is there's absolutely nothing she did wrong to stop her from getting it. Because in my opinion, even though you don't put that gold, gold medal around her neck, she won it. Everybody knew she'd won it. Everybody knew she would have done it. All she had to do was get to the finish and she couldn't. And she was stopped by not some weakness, but by a broken foot. So that's who my pick is. And I, I know it probably is a bit un, unconventional. It was who I thought was the winner of the decade before we went into this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do have to say, um, I, 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 I have to say that Greta's, you know, the, the argument for Greta was going to be something around, world, around what she's done in World Cross. Because she won so many world cross titles, um, and you know that's, and I don't, I don't, I think Christensen won one or two. Um, I don't know. You probably have the date, data there, but I don't remember if she won any of those. She mostly was a track runner. She didn't run cross that much. Yeah, and
1: but- In- Christensen won one world cross country title. She placed third twice, but Greta won five times. Yeah. and was third once. Which many Greta people also had mm-hmm. world records. Yeah, also had some range. So I think we we had this grid where we're looking at majors that they won, other championship events that they won. And if you score it out, you pick some reasonable values for those different type of victories. I think the math says Greta wins. I think the math overwhelmingly says she wins, but my heart says Ingrid wins if if you look at her dominance in the in the later part of the a more competitive period in the late eighties compared to a lot of Greta stuff was before pre 84, before it was as competitive.
0: Yeah. And you have also at this point in time, you've got women because of 84 women recognizing the value and where they can position themselves, where they can put themselves. You also have the East, the, you have the the Germans, the East Germans and, you know, soon to be all germ. I mean, soon to be all, you know, Soviets Um, all together, the, you know, the the level of competition in those years when Ingrid was on fire and she was so far ahead. That's the other thing too. One thing we want to talk about here, Jeff, these women were chasing sub two twenty and almost got it. It takes Mm -hmm. 13, 14 years before women can, 18 years before women can get anywhere near what these, these women were doing. I mean, Joni and, Joni and Ingrid were basically beating each other over the head. I mean, we had three women on one day in '85 at Chicago. Three women go under two twenty, go at two twenty three, right? Like that's crazy. That that's crazy. Y- you probably didn't have three women run under three two three twenty three from nineteen ninety on. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so it's like that the level of competition for these women, and um, you know, Ingrid looks a little bit. Like she's missing out on a little bit when you compare it to the gold medal that both Rosa and Joni get, and with the the records that and the things that that Greta did earlier, but nobody was competing at the level and the kind of competition that Christensen had, and to run thirty thirteen, I know people don't really understand the ten thousand that much, but I do to run thirty thirteen and to run what was it fourteen forty seven or fourteen, like, like unbelievable she broke broke fifteen. Yeah.
1: Yeah, fourteen she thirty-seven on br- the fourteen
0: thirty-seven and thirty thirteen. Those are mind-boggling times to be running in eighty-six, eighty-seven. Mind-boggling. And th- and to say that the only reason that you don't give her the 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 nod for the decade is because she didn't win a gold medal. She didn't win in a medal. She didn't win a gold medal. And you're like, okay, the race that she ran before it was the nineteen eighty-four women's Olympic marathon against, you know, I mean. It, against the two greatest marathoners of all time and maybe the third i mean because christensen we don't say she's the greatest marathoner of all time do we we just said she's the winner of the decade right you know and because of the value of value of those shorter races and some people would say you
1: want to talk about
0: competitor
1: though Joan benoit no yeah gangster that's my that's my pick (laughs) what she did in 84 and 85 in 83, what she did in 83 at
0: Boston at the right. crazy race that she ran that way. She took no, she, and literally you did not want to stand there. She's a gunslinger. Like she's a gunslinger. No, she
1: went she went straight at it. Your story about the 85 Chicago, when, when she found out, oh wait, there's a bigger challenge. The the fastest in the world. That's where, okay, that's where I'm going to be. And I'm going right at her. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've got a, a, a sympathy for, for Joan Benoit in elevating her above the others for that just fierce competitiveness and ability to perform in the biggest moments on the biggest stage. It just, it wasn't as long of a period as the others, you know, and she didn't, she wasn't running cross country and she wasn't setting world records in the 10,000, but man, she fierce is fierce. Yeah. Is today still.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, that's why I think she's so iconic. That's why she's, she won the most important race that there was to win in the history of women's distance racing some people say the most important race that's ever been run in the history of a, of, of distance racing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's an argument for that. I don't, I don't know. I I and I'm sure you can come up with some that, that you could say that you put toe to toe with it, but you couldn't say somebody could win outright on that because of the, of the symbolic import. And, and yet we're still both saying the person who wins the decade is somebody else who maybe listeners to this podcast have never heard of before. Ingrid Christensen, right. you know, all right, so let's get to our our final quote Oh wait, we have one more. We have a new we have a new category, don't we? Rabbit hole. Yep.
1: Yeah. Let's rabbit talk a little hole. bit about the, the rabbit holes we fell down in the, in this one. Yeah, we we decided to be a fun thing to talk about in preparation for this. What is one thing we came across that was either far more detailed than necessary or interesting but completely unrelated to the task <laughs> at hand?
0: Because <laughs> we both fell down a number of pretty
1: big rabbit holes, but we're only going to share eat one, our top rabbit hole, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll start. I'm going to go with the, the course design. Somehow I came across this nearly 200 page document that discussed the design, measurement and testing of the Olympic course. And, the way they did it, I thought it was pretty simple. It's like, all right, well, you go 6K down this street and then you hang a right and you go 4K down the next street and how how hard is it to measure? But they had to do things like measure a certain distance off the curb, different distance off a line in the road. And they had to have a a measure of confidence about the measured distance. They had to measure it in pieces. They had to have multiple people measure it on bikes They got into this dispute amongst the measurement team about, wait a minute, you walked your bike for this section and the bikes were actually doing the measuring. Well, there's less tire pressure or less pressure on the tires. That's going to change the circumference of the wheel <laughs> and uh, th- that's going to affect our, our everything. So they had to do statistical analysis and they used two or three or four different statistical methods to validate their measurements in order to present the course as certified. And in the end, it had to be within 50 meters of the (laughs) 42.2 K. But I had no idea there was so much math and statistics and uh, level of measurement involved in a marathon course. Yeah, I'm a
0: race, I've been a race director, so I know. (laughs) And we, they now have men and women who are basically designed to do that, like for races, like the, each USATF now designs, there's one person that does that in your region and they, and they do every course. And, um, and you'd think, oh, well, that seems like a monopoly. Like one person, believe me, it's not a job anybody wants, except for somebody who really wants the job. And they've got to be exacting and really detail oriented. And yeah, it's crazy. So my rabbit hole was going down, looking at the career of, of of Joan Benoit and following the career of her coach, Bob Sevney, who was basically an iconic character. He's still alive today. He coaches in California. He's a coach of a small school and college there. And, um, you know, I would talked about this in the at first episode with the 1982 Boston Marathon, but um, I'm just absolutely intrigued by Athletics West and what was going on in this, the first sort of, uh, salvo at trying to create a professional team of athletes training in one location with the best with the best doctors with the best facilities with the best resources with the best gear and how nike geared up all and became the research the research company who focused on providing the best research they could for their athletes. And then the, the dark side of that, like were there, there's a lot of um, questions about what was going on at athletics West. There was um, one tragic death that maybe people thought might have something to do with, um, with, with drugs. And I found down this rabbit hole of this book, Jeff called um, swoosh. It's the unauthorized story of Nike and the men who played there, um, but written by a woman, J.B. Strassner. And this book I mean, I got 300 pages into the 500 page book and said, I have to stop reading this. It was absolutely intriguing. And I highly suggest it to anybody that wants to read it. It is a thick, thick tome. um, And it's not uncontroversial. Like there is very controversial even to this day, but it was written, I think in the late eight, it was written in the early nineties. And so it's not you know, it's not come to the modern era, but it covers so much interesting information and it just made me fall down this 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 rabbit hole. That So was, that was my
1: rabbit hole. <laughs>
0: one I probably will dive right back into after we finish this episode.
1: <laughs> right. We also have a, a few questions, debates, and loose ends. We've already talked about some of them and we'll visit these in our various discussions, but I think career podium is one that we want to talk about each time. Where does this performance sit on each of their career podiums? This is an easy one for this particular race in my opinion at least for the winner. So absolutely this gold medal win for Joan Benoit would be the gold medal or top performance of her career. Undoubtedly. What would you say for the others?
0: I mean I'd say for Moda no. It was an important race, but I think maybe the 82 European championship that she won was probably more important to her than even her third, her her bronze medal at the Olympics. But that's Mm -hmm. easy to say because, you know, her crowning achievement is to win the 88 Olympic gold medal. And, you know, there's no way that a bronze could possibly hold up to that. Right. So I would put this, you know, definitely, you know, would, this would probably be the third, maybe the third best result of her career. Um, um, For Greta, You know, that's a tough one because it's certainly the best performance she had on an international stage. If you talk about, you know, world championship at at this level, you know, she won many world cross championships. People don't always value those at the same, the same level. Um, But I, I would probably say that this result, it's hard for me to really... I guess in some sense I want to say for Greta, it's the it's the number of wins she got at New York, even though that's sort of cheating in a sense, yeah. you know? It's like cheating that way. But I do think that this silver is at least the silver, at least at least silver for her if it's not a, if it's not the gold medal performance for her. Um, mm-hmm. and I do think that when you think about what Greta ran into that day and the couple of days preceding it with her back issue, that she may be proud of this beyond a show, you know, it may have been her proudest moment to have been able to do and pull off. This expectation, she ran into a buzzsaw. She ran into a, uh, you know, she ran into Rocky, right? And who was absolutely ready and didn't rope it open and didn't do anything else. She, he, she stood her ground and she just slayed her, right? That's what Joni did. And no one was going to beat Joni on that day. Like there was nobody yeah, if, was going
1: to beat her. And for what I've learned about Greta, it wouldn't surprise me if she valued this performance much higher than anyone else would, yeah. yet wouldn't even tell people about it, Correct. she she could have been more proud of this than anything yeah. because maybe she felt like she didn't even want to line up that day, and she had no shot. Yet she walked out with a silver medal against a woman who had the performance of her career. So, heck, maybe this would be her gold, but she probably wouldn't would never tell you that. You know, one thing I just remembered though.
0: I think Joni actually has said, we might have to take it back and say, was this Joni's crowning achievement? Because I think she said the most important race that she ever ran in her life was the Olympic trials. Of course, we know she couldn't have gotten there otherwise where the other women all got bys, right? They all got to get there. She had to win her way there and she had this tragic, unbelievable circumstance. And how she got by orthoscopic knee surgery and had 17 days to get, ready and win that Olympic trials. I mean, that's the thing about Joni that makes her story so unbelievable. It's not, it's not just the Olympic trial. It's not just the Olympic games. It's the, what she had to do to get there that makes her story so compelling. Um, And, you know, when we we talk about Christensen, there's no doubt this was, this was not her finest day. This isn't even on a podium for her. You know, she had a bad day. I think she was not the third best. I don't think she was the fourth best of these runners on, even on that day. Um, In fact, I you know I think she just ran into a day where she got hot. I don't think that Christensen was ready for the heat at this level. I don't know how many hot races she ran, but she certainly was suffering in every video po- every video footage I ever saw of her in this race. Every single time you saw her face, she was in devastated. And you'd see her running right next to her compatriot. Her, her <laughs> and Greta looks like she is like not got a su- no sweat on her head at all. She looks perfectly coiffed. Everything is just exactly where it needs to be. Not- shows nothing on her face, and her teammate is just like grimacing in absolute pain and agony throughout the whole race right. so i think christianson would call this low on her podium which would not have made a podium in terms of career performance if you reran it 10 times anything different here no no way i mean i do think yeah. we could ask the question of if greta was 100 percent, but i think even greta knows on that day it would have been really hard to beat joni because Joni never had to deal with jockeying for position or shifting or changing gears or anything else. And the reason those women ran faster and closed on her late in the race was because they had to, in order to, in order to get their positions where they needed to be, they had to make moves. They had to get, they had to get away from the other ones. And Mm -hmm. Joni didn't have to do that. Joni, if what would have happened if somebody came up on Joni, I think she said after the race, she could have run it again. Like she was ready to run it again. She had the race of her life. She could have run that race again. So I I don't think there's any question. If you ran that race 10 times, Joan Benoit would win. Um, But I do think, you know, when we talked about this yesterday, we did a little prep on this. We We did argue that maybe there were chances given certain circumstances being different. You know, if Joni hadn't, if Joni, had not had the struggle and had the surgery and she hadn't had that time to recover, would she have run herself into a hole? because Joan has talked about the fact that she maybe have overtrained herself and put herself into a position where she wouldn't have been ready to win the Olympic gold medal if she had been um, not gotten hurt. You know that's something she's talked about. So then you say, okay, how far back do we go before we talk about running this race again? Do we go five days before and say, Greta doesn't hurt her back. Now we've got a much better race and what would happen if they go toe-to-toe? Do we go back, you know, three months and put it up before the start, of, you know, six months before when Joan gets hurt and hurts her knee and has to, then before she has to get surgery? So yeah, you could play this game about how it would have happened if you'd run it differently. But no doubt on that day, Joan Benoit would have won that race every single time. No if you ran it a hundred times, she'd win it a hundred times, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you there. And the last question, very easy, but one that will be fun to revisit where it won't be so cut and dried, but who made the race? Benoit, no question. Yeah. She made the race from the kilometer five. It was all her. Yeah. And, you know, she,
0: she made the race and she made women's running history. She made the race and she made women. They have the ability to run strong and to run tall and to be proud of being equal to men. They could do exactly what men could do. And Joan proved it. It had already been proved by many women before her. She says she was not the first string. She was not the first who, she stood on the shoulders of giants. But it took Joni for us all to pay attention because we mm-hmm. don't know many of the names of those other women. We don't know them in the same way that we don't know Bobby Gibb in the same way. No, we don't know Jacqueline Hansen in the same way. We don't know Cheryl Bridges in the same way. We don't know even Catherine Switzer in the same way. It takes Greta Weitz, Weitz to change the game when she runs New York City, then go under 230 in 83. I mean, I mean in, in seventy in 1980, when she, 1979, when she went under 230, everything changes from there. Not only is there a woman that people can look at who could do this and do it like, like, who, who looks like she could do it any day. And she's obviously a professional. But then you have women at more and more women trying to compete with Greta. So now you've got the level of playing field raising up to a point where we get an opportunity to have these four women standing on a starting line, April 5th, 1984, try to determine who the greatest is. And Joni comes out on top, Changes running forever. You know, I read a book in preparation for this. It's a new book that came out relatively recently, two years ago, I think by Ambie Burfoot called First Ladies. And he argues that the most important woman, he, he talks about many of these women. And, he's, and I highly recommend this book as a resource for anybody who wants to look into women's running history, especially US running women's running history. Guess who he picks as the most important, most influential and important woman runner of all time? Benoit. Oprah Winfrey.
1: <laughs> I, I scoffed too. the Marathon?
0: I scoffed too. I scoffed too. Till you recognize that yes, there was a running boom that happened in the '70s and the '80s, and there were many more women that did run. But the sheer numbers of women, we didn't. It took it took Oprah Winfrey running that
1: Marine Corps Marathon and struggling to 1992. Through, struggling to remember all- because uh, she beat my roommates who ran the yeah. marathon that yeah. year
0: struggling through all the things that she struggled through. You know, I, I remember scoffing about that at the time, but Ambie, um, I totally recommend that read because he definitely made me think, I don't agree. I don't think that Oprah Winfrey is the most important woman runner. I don't believe that but I believe that Joan Benoit is the most important. And I put Greta Weitz as in it almost like they hand holding hands, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. I, we, we, I call 1980, the night, the eighties is the Christensen decade, it just fails to compare to the weight of the work that Greta did and the ferocity that Joni had to beat her. And then the way that changed everything for women's distance running um, to the point now where women are on equal footing with men. In fact, frequently women are beating men on a consistent basis. If they go out over the distance of a marathon and into, you know, we had Anne Trayson in in the early 90s win the Western States outright where she beat all the men in the race as well. So we're now got a level, a playing field that's completely different. Yeah, men will run faster because of physiology and a few differences, but men's races aren't looked at, I think, in any more valued than the women's races are. And it takes Joan Benoit winning the 1984 Olympic games in the marathon for that to happen. Doesn't happen without those protagonists. Doesn't happen with all four of them making this race be as important, as critical and crucial as it is cool well thanks to everybody for listening i think that wraps it jeff huh
1: we went yeah, on a little well, bit we, we did and i did learn that lionel richie sang at the closing ceremonies and sang a nine minute version of all night long which we're oh, now wow. gonna play for you <laughs> no nah, just kidding <laughs> what should we play on the way out steve
0: <laughs> let's play the best song let's play let's play the number one song <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us.